0: So, everything has a beginning to its story. I'll say that a little bit different way. Every story has a beginning. Your story has a beginning, doesn't it? And unless you are God, you had a beginning, right? Jeremiah 1.5 tells us, it reminds us that God knew us before he formed us in our mother's womb. So, did your story begin the day you were born? No. No. Your story happened, or your beginning happened a long time prior to you ever being born. God knew you, He had plans for you. Your days were already numbered long before you were ever started. Everything created has a beginning. So, we're going to try a little game here as we uh, get started today. I'm going to read you an opening line, it could be from a book or a song. Uh, it could be from a movie. You tell me, you can just shout it out. You tell me where this opening line came from. Okay. So here's our first one. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. The tale of two cities by Charles Dickens. Okay. Here's one a little bit more recent, not quite, but a little bit more recent. Uh, A long, long time ago, I still remember how that music used to make me smile. Anybody remember that one, American Pie by Don McLean? I'm sorry now that the American Pie is going through your head for the next half an hour. But uh, how about this one? I owe everything to George Bailey. Help him, dear father. You know that one? It's a wonderful life, right? And probably the most famous of all, in the beginning... God. Yeah, it's our Bible. It's, it's Genesis. It's the beginning of our story. A be- good beginning is memorable. A good beginning sets the stage for everything that follows it. A good beginning is worthy to be studied because it shows us not only where we came from, but a really good beginning clearly tells us where we need to go. So we're gonna play another real quick game here. I'm gonna show you, or the team upstairs is gonna show you two pictures on the screen. They'll come up here behind me. And you have to guess what these two things have in common with one another. Okay, there they are. The ship there is called the Lusitania. It sank on the 7th of May, 1915 when the Germans torpedoed her, and it sunk in the Atlantic Ocean in the, fir- or the, in the First World War. Besides the 1,900 people that were on board that ship, it has now been declared and proven that there were also 4 million rounds of machine gun ammunition in its hull. 1,200 people lost their lives the day that that ship sunk. The other picture I probably need to explain to all of our good church people is a moonshine still. <laughs> okay? I'll explain what these two things have to have in common here. Um, my family's origin is from Great Britain. Uh, we came from, uh, from Britain, from Great Britain. We were coal miners. My family uh, were... Uh, coal miners in strip mines in a West, Western England near Manchester. There's where we're from. Uh, life wasn't easy for my family, and it was commonplace for coal miners at the time to uh, be hurt or killed in their line of work. There were so many Etox there that working in that coal mine that there, uh, the mine was actually called the ETOC coal mine. So if you ever want to see a whole bunch more etox, just go there and you'll... <laughs> you'll see them, okay? But there weren't a whole lot of safety rules or OSHA rules back there in the early 20th century in England. And so, they were searching for a better life, perhaps maybe an easier life. And they decided to move from England in those coal mines and to work in the coal mines of central Iowa. And they settled in a town called Boone, Iowa. My great-grandfather's name was Samuel. My great-grandmother's name was Ada and they traveled here to the United States with their four grown children. My grandfather was the youngest. Actually, he was the only one of his siblings that was born here in the United States after they got here. Life wasn't a whole lot easier for them on this side of the pond than it was over there in England. And legend has it to make ends meet, my family, your children's pastor's family were moonshiners. So, it was a long time ago, all right? Uh, This was even before Prohibition. It was not illegal to make moonshine. It was illegal to sell moonshine. But no worries because the the story is that my family supplied moonshine to the entire county around Boone. And the mayor bought moonshine from my family. The business owners bought Moonshine from my family, and the police force bought (laughs) moonshine from my family. The only people that weren't keen on this whole uh, business transaction were the federal agents. And so the details are kind of sketchy here, but the story is that my great grandfather heard that the feds were on him and that they were going to come to get him to arrest him. So, literally in the middle of the night, he packs up my great grandmother, Ada my grandfather, who is now only three years old, and they head to New York with the plan that they were going to go to England to let the heat die down a little bit, which in my opinion is kind of a strange thing to do because now England is right in the middle of World War I. Seems like a strange place to hide out, but they were going back home. When they were in New York, they sent a telegram back to the rest of my grandfather's uh, siblings and asked if any of them wanted to make the trip back to England with them. A telegram came back from my great aunt Annie and she responded that yes she would move back to England with the family but they had to wait for her arrival in New York and so they canceled their tickets on the original ship and booked on the next ship. My grandfather told me the story that even though he was three years old, he remembers his ship needing to divert course, and they actually had to land in Norway and hide out in Norway for a few months until it was safe for them to travel back down to England because the Germans were sinking all of the passenger ships. You can probably see where this story is going. That original ship that they had tickets to or on was the Lusitania. And if it weren't for that little yellow Western Union telegram that came in the nick of the time, my grandfather and his family would have a grave on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. And I would never Existed. This is my story. This is part of my story, even though it happened 55 years before I was born. But without that story, my story would have never begun, right? If it weren't for that simple telegram, my story, the, the churches that I've had the privilege of leading, the kids that I've had, the, uh, the opportunity I've had to lead these children, my incredible wife, this marriage, my two amazing sons, their children, and their children, and their children, and their children would never exist. See, my story didn't start 50 years ago when I was born. My story has had many beginnings along the way. Only one of those stories, only one of those beginnings, was told by poor moonshiners in central Iowa. And likewise, PFN, our story didn't start 95 years ago when a small group about five people gathered over on 3rd Street here in Pekin after a tent revival. Our story is an amazing story. Our story needs to be retold. Our story is a beautiful story of this local church being started, but it is not our beginning. Our beginning is contained in the pages of this book. And if you were to ask me, how old is your church? The easy answer would be, well, our church is about 95 years old. But the correct answer is our church is about 2,000 years old. The beginning of which is told in this book. Pekin First Church of the Nazarene, our entire network of churches started when an uneducated and uh, kind of everyday guy named Peter might have stood up on a street corner and said, hey, that guy that you just crucified, his name was Jesus. And guess what? He's not dead. In fact, death could not contain him. He is truly your Messiah. That's our start. Our start happened when the Holy Holy Spirit descended upon uh, the heads of a bunch of frightened, yet faithful and determined followers of Christ. Our church started when Jesus told them, now you are going to be my witnesses. The ball is in your courts. And then he ascended into heaven. This is your story, P.F.N., It's all right here. And it's an awesome beginning to our story, one that should uh, tell us where we need to be and who we need to become. These words contained in this book is our origin. It is worthy to be studied. This story, our story, this is our guide. This is our birth This is the genesis of PFN. It's right here. And if you want to read the story of the start of our church, you look into the pages of the book of Acts. It's all right there. And so over the next few weeks and months, our staff pastors have the opportunity to guide you through this amazing historical book. And believe me, there's going to be some wild rides at times. Uh, Have anybody here ever had a uh, family reunion and the weird uncle or the weird aunt shows up? (laughs) If you can't think of who they are, it's you, okay? (laughs) You're going to meet some weird characters along the way in this book of Acts, but it's our story. Before we jump into the book of Acts, we just need to set the stage and set the Uh, the history some groundwork some context of this amazing book so if you're taking notes uh, follow along here with me so just basicness for us the bible is divided up into two parts the old testament and the new testament the new testament tells the story of jesus those first four books matthew mark luke and john are called the gospels right and they tell the story of the life of Jesus, they, they give us his teaching, and we see into the life of our Savior while he physically walked on earth, while he was fully 100% man, yet fully 100% God. And they were written by four different men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the next 23 books of the New Testament tell us about the church, the rise of the church, and they contain instructions and guidance for us today. That fifth book, Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, is also known as the Acts of the Apostles, and it's a historical book about the church. Okay? Now it was written by a man named Luke in the first century, probably around uh, AD 80, right around in in there. Uh, So yes, same Luke that wrote one of the gospels containing his name. In fact, Acts really isn't a second book. It's really a continuation. It's kind of like part two of book one. And today we even refer to Luke and Acts together as Luke Acts because they're written by the same guy. The first part tells us all about Jesus. And the second part tells us all about the rise of his church. Now, Luke was an interesting guy. He was an interesting character. Uh, We don't know a ton about him, uh, we know he probably didn't know Jesus personally because his book was written 50 years before or after Jesus lived. But we do know that Luke was a traveling companion of the missionary Paul. And you're going to hear a whole lot about Paul in the next few weeks. Paul being a missionary and Paul having this new faith in Jesus Christ and Paul living in this time uh, during this era of following Jesus was not a popular thing to do. In fact, it was so unpopular that Paul spent a lot of time in prison and a lot of time being beaten. So having a man named Luke around would have been a great convenience to Paul because Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. And I believe Luke probably had a lot of practice mending up Paul's wounds along the way. And probably his own wounds. Luke wrote this uh, book for a guy named Theophilus. And so let's just get into Acts and let's start reading what Luke writes to us a long time ago. But he meant it for us. All right, this is what he writes in Acts chapter 1 verse 1. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So let's just pause there for a little bit this morning. Uh, There's a debate on who this guy Theophilus was. Who was Luke writing to? He was probably some guy that commissioned Luke uh, to write out the account of Jesus and uh, give us an idea and some background into the Christian movement. And so some people think that uh, Theophilus was a Roman official, probably somebody high up in government. Others think that Theophilus might have been a Jewish priest, he might have been a member of one of the religious groups, the Sanhedrin at the time. We're not really sure. There's a growing number of scholars that think that Theophilus may have actually been the missionary Paul's lawyer, and that he commissioned uh, uh, one of Paul's traveling companions, meaning Luke, to write the story of Jesus, to give us the history of Jesus and the Christian movement so he could use it for Paul's defense. Interesting theory. But the fact is, we don't know exactly who he is. But whoever Theophilus was, Luke wrote his book to tell us the story of Jesus and then the birth of the church. He wanted people to know that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, that Jesus is the Savior that they had been waiting for. And the book of Acts that we're going to study contains over 20 different sermons by the early church leaders. And so it was paramount to Luke that his readers knew who Jesus was and the saving power of Jesus Christ. Luke wanted people not to mistake Jesus for just some other religion or just some other false prophet that seemed to pop up from time to time. Luke was preparing them and preparing us To see that the ministry of Jesus was still alive. To see that the ministry of Jesus, what he was doing when he was alive, is now supposed to be done through the church. And so therefore, Luke was not just writing to Theophilus or people way back then. I think he was writing to us. And so if we reword that very first uh, uh, verse, it might say something like this. In my former book, PFN, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. And after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to you, who he had chosen, to you. So pay attention. Jesus began this ministry, but he's expecting you to finish it. And so this is what you need to do, and this is what you need to teach. So Luke is reminding us today, almost 2,000 years later, uh, about the ministry of Jesus, and it was all about his doing and his teaching. In other words, do what Jesus did, teach what Jesus taught. Jesus left us, PFN, with a ministry ministry. The start of our church should all should be about our words and our deeds. One commentary I read uh, put it this way: Jesus' deeds illustrated his words, but his words explained his deeds. In the ministry of Jesus, you're going to find him performing many miraculous and merciful deeds. But you're also going to find Jesus teaching with a a great authority. Jesus' words always matched his deeds. In other words, he walked the walk and he talked the talk. And Jesus was the most authentic man to ever walk the face of the earth. And as we go through this book of Acts, you're going to find the church also performing many miraculous deeds and doing things like caring for the poor. But you're also going to find them tirelessly preaching the good news of Christ, teaching and doing words and deeds. They have to go together. They must go together In our world today, there's a whole lot of things that don't go together. I don't know if you're aware of this, but right now there's a new trend where people are telling you that you need to put yellow mustard on watermelon. Have you seen that one yet? I'm just gonna save you time, don't. You don't need to experience it, you don't need to do it, they don't belong with one another. Uh, in research for the sermon, we tried it, and it's nasty, okay? Some things just don't go together. For instance, right now in East Peoria, there is a restaurant that has both a Long John Silvers and an a w Root Beer under the same roof. I know they're owned by the same company, but they do not belong together, right? There's other things that don't belong together, and I hate to even mention it, because just by mentioning it, I know somebody here is going to go home and try this, but orange juice and toothpaste do not go together. They don't. Some other things. This hasn't been invented yet. Probably somebody will come up with it, but I don't think a Planet Fitness pizza buffet goes together. <laughs> How about you, right? Uh, of the chief among the things for me that do not go together is pizza and pineapple. Can I get an amen out there? And some of you are just starting to hate me right now. So <laughs> I saw this picture on the internet the other day. These things don't go together. Weapons and puppies. <laughs> now, before you want to crucify me, this is an actual store. Uh, it's not really a store. It's an art gallery in Israel. I guess the owner did this for just the shock value of it, but some things don't go together, right? There's things in our life that have to go together. And Jesus's teachings and his doings, his words and our deeds, and therefore our teaching and our doing, our words and our deeds have to align. And Luke is telling us This is what Jesus did, and this is what he taught, and I believe he is still telling us the exact same thing today. He's telling us what we need to do. And so we have to ask ourselves, church, we have to ask ourselves, PFN, are we doing it? Are we doing what Jesus did? Are we teaching what Jesus taught? Are we continuing on the ministry of Christ? Or have we become too concerned with things that are not heaven or hell issues? Have we gotten ourselves derailed from what Jesus taught? Have we ignored his example? I want you to see what Luke says next. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was giving them their orders. He was preparing them to take the baton from his hand and run with it as fast as they could go. Jesus expected these men and these women to go out and to do and to teach And he tells them, I'm not even going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you help. You will have the Holy Spirit going with you. What I want you to do is get ready. And look at the next verse, what they concerned themselves about. Verse 6, and then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I think, or when I read the the gospels and I read the story of Jesus and when I read Acts here, I think there's times when Jesus just wants to go like this. Ugh. (laughs) You don't get it, guys. You don't get it. He's saying, listen to me. He says this very next verse, verse seven. It is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority. So Jesus is telling the followers 2,000 years ago, but I believe he's telling us today, I don't need you to be concerned with dates. The dates don't matter. What matters is that my people are ready for that date, whenever it may come. And until they are all ready, you all have a job to do. Jesus is telling them the kingdom of God is now not some future event, it's happening to them right then. And it's happening to us right now. And so PFN, this is our start. This is where we began. And so we don't need to be concerned about dates or signs or even circumstances. What we should be concerned about is whether or not we are doing what Jesus did and we're teaching what Jesus taught. This is what we do at PFN. Why do we study the pages in this book of Acts? Why are we going to devote months and and weeks to studying this together as a church? Couldn't we, just couldn't we take it easy for a little bit? I mean, we don't have a senior pastor here for a while, but couldn't we just take it easy? Let me tell you, As a pastor who has had the privilege of leading uh, different churches, I guarantee you that whoever comes to stand behind this pulpit on a regular basis would much rather come to a church and continue with the momentum that has already started within these walls than to start over. Our new pastor needs to come to PFN seeing that committed Christians are teaching and doing what Jesus taught and did. They should start on day one, working together with us as we are committed to word and deed. There should not be one ministry with an opening in this church. Look at verse eight. And so Jesus tells them, but, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so PFN, folks, we may not have a pastor here right now but that does not mean that we don't have a job to do and it certainly doesn't mean that we don't have the Holy Spirit guiding us today. So where are we gonna go? And what are we going to do? Jesus tells us that we need to go to Jerusalem. Wouldn't it be nice if all of us could go there? But he's not talking about there. He's talking about here. He's talking about Pekin and Tremont and East Peoria and Washington and Peoria. This is our territory. This is where we have been placed. It is not by accident that this church exists on the corner of Veterans and Broadway in Pekin, Illinois we have people to take care of. We have people to teach. We have people to minister to, and they live right here. This is our missionary field. It's here. This is our Jerusalem. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He also tells us that we need to go to Judea. Where is Judea? It's not just our surrounding area, but it, meaning back then, it was their, their state, their country, the, all around them. So what would happen, PFN, if during this time, you and I, together, we would devote ourselves to praying for our state and our country? Not against a certain party or praying against a certain platform, but praying for our officials to be personally Blessed. Let me explain that. Carol and I, once when we were attending uh, Peoria First, before I became a pastor, we had had a, a favorite pastor, our worship pastor, leave the church. And uh, Pastor Steve was one of my best friends. He was uh, my mentor. He discipled me as a young Christian. And we hated to see Pastor Steve and his family go. Now, there was a lady that came to replace him, and she was nice, but she wasn't Steve. We missed Steve. And so, Carol and I thought, well, if Steve wasn't gonna be there, then maybe we wouldn't be there. And so, we tried other places, and we complained about Steve's replacement. We didn't like her, she wasn't good enough, she didn't lead right, she didn't sing right, blah, 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 right? And then we had a conversation with Carol's mom. And Carol's mom said, you can't complain about her if you are not actively praying for her. And so she asked us this question. When was the last time that you prayed for her to be blessed? And I said... Uh, duh, never. I don't even like her. (laughs) And then Carol's mom said, then the problem is not with the new leader. The problem is in your heart. Ouch. But it's true. If I'm not praying for the leaders in my country to be personally blessed, if I don't want the best for them, then the problem isn't with them. The problem is with me. Are we actively praying for our Judea? And then the Samaria. Samaria wasn't just a region that was a little bit farther away. Samaria was full of people that the people in Jerusalem hated. Jews hated Samaritans. So who are the people that we don't like? Who are the people that God might be sending us to that we could care less for? Green Bay? Some of you hate me even more now, all right? If pizza and and pineapple weren't bad enough, then I just really stepped on your toes. I'm sorry. But seriously, who are the cultures that we don't get? Who are the Samaritans that we don't like? And could it be that God is so tired of calling us to go to them that God is literally bringing them to us? Listen, the church has found itself on the outside of influencing our culture for the first time in history. Where the church used to be a moral barometer for society, instead we are just becoming moralistic in their eyes. Where we were once known, or we are now known for what we are against a whole lot more than what we're for. As we have become more aggressive with our words, we have also become more sensitive to the words of others. And we find ourselves taking great offense If somebody does not agree with us, our platform, or our position. And I wonder, I just wonder if Jesus is grieving and saying, But what happened to my words? What happened to my deeds? What happened to love and compassion and care and grace? See, I think Jesus is bringing us back to the starting line, a restarting line. And today is a day where we get to start a journey together, where we get to discover our roots, where we get to find out once again what our beginning is, what our origin is, what the plan was for us all along, that we get to read and discover and study our genesis, why PFN is here. Today is a day that we get to do what Jesus did and teach what Jesus taught. And so if you get your communication cards out, there's some next steps I wanna go through with you as we close today. What might the Holy Spirit be pushing you towards today? What might the Holy Spirit be speaking to you through that wonderful uh, verse, Acts 1-8? So if you follow along on the back of your communication card, Maybe these are things that you would commit to. First of all, we're going to spend a lot of time in Acts together. It's, it's going to be a privilege for all of our staff pastors to come and to share with you as we lead you through Acts. So number one, would you commit to reading Acts with us every single week? That means that you prepare in advance, that you read the scripture that we will be preaching about, uh, that you'll come with that already read before you come on a Sunday. The uh, scriptures are going to be listed in your bulletin, so you always know what's going to be preached about. Would you commit to reading through Acts with us? If so, would you just mark that down on your card? Or how about this? Would you commit to studying Acts? not just reading it and coming prepared and you know what we're gonna talk about, but committing to taking notes, committed to showing up every single week or watching with us online, whatever it may be, but you're gonna study scripture because scripture is alive and it's active and it's speaking to you today, so you need to bring it internally. Would you study Acts with us? How about your Jerusalem, your neighborhood, your town, your city, your workplace, your school, whatever it may be? What could you do locally here in Pekin or East Peoria or wherever you're Tremont, wherever you may be? What could you do locally to better the life of somebody that lives out there? Not not just in here, but somebody that lives out there. What could you do to better their life? Number four, would you commit to praying for our leaders? Genuinely pray that God would ordain success even through them. Isn't that what we want? Pray for them to be blessed by our Lord, even if we don't like them. And number five, would you seek to understand your Samaria? What I mean by that is, would you commit yourself to learning about a different culture? Maybe somebody that you don't know, uh, don't understand. Somebody with a different point of view from you. Maybe a different class of society than you that you're not familiar with. A race you're not familiar with. A people group that just frankly makes you nervous. What could we do during this time to learn about them? And to find out the beginning of their story. And allow them to hear the beginning of our story. What could God do for us as we reach out to Samaria around us? I want a chance just to pray for you before Pastor Callie comes up. If you would just bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Jesus, I thank you that over 2,000 years ago, you decided to do a new thing. You knew, Lord, your time physically walking on the earth was up. So you sent the Holy Spirit. And you commissioned us to do what you do and to teach what you taught. And you told us, Lord, that our ministry is all about our words and our deeds. Lord, may the world around us see us for who you are. Your love and your compassion and your grace. Lord, help us as we reach out to our Jerusalem, our Judea, and our Samaria. Lord, frankly, if we're honest, there's people there that we don't like. There's people that we don't understand. There's people there that we certainly don't agree with. But what could you do with us as we seek them? Lord, I I believe that just like you did a new thing 2,000 years ago, that you are on the verge of doing a new thing within our midst. Lord, you have somebody already picked out. It did not take you by surprise when our DS moved to Nazarene Bible College and when our pastor became the DS. Didn't surprise you. And I believe, Lord, in your sovereignty that you had already picked out who that leader is And so would you help our church board, would you help our new DS to find that man or that woman that would greet us on a weekly basis and lead us into your presence? Would you lead us to them and would you do a new thing through us? And may, Lord, they find a church committed to word and deed, that they can join us on a mission instead of starting us over. Lord, you are doing amazing things in our lives, in the lives of our church, in the lives of our community, our state, our country, and the ends of the earth. Thank you for allowing us to be part of that story. Thank you, Lord, for 2,000 years ago, you decided to start PFN. And it's in your name that all of us pray together. Amen.